Well, last week we finished up the book of First Thessalonians, and this morning we will go ahead and begin a study in the book of Second Thessalonians. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Second Thessalonians is, of course, another letter of the Apostle Paul's to the believers in the city of Thessalonica. Now, I'm going to do something a bit unusual here, nothing too strange, but I'd like for you to just turn up one chapter here in Second Thessalonians to chapter 2. And I want us to start this morning by reading just the first two verses of chapter 2. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So, as we study this letter, it's only three chapters long, so we'll move through it rather quickly. But here we see maybe just one of the reasons for Paul writing this second letter to them. They were being told by someone, in one way, shape, or form, it seems, that the coming of the Lord had already happened. They were troubled in their minds about this and thinking that that event had already taken place. Paul is saying basically here, we never told you that. If they had received a letter from Paul, you know, Paul is letting them know, hey, it wasn't really from him. If you've received the letter, it wasn't from, from us. Okay, that's what Paul's saying here. That time hadn't come yet. And as we sit here this morning studying the Word of God, that time still hasn't come, has it? Now, of course, we'll look at those verses again when we get to chapter 2, but I just wanted you to see at least part of the reason for this second letter to the Thessalonians. So turning back now to chapter 1, we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1 where it says, Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalon Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here again, I just want to briefly point something out to you that I know you've heard me say before, and that Paul is not alone in the ministry. He has faithful ministers alongside of him. In this case, we see Timothy and Silvanus, also known as Silas. Paul was never a one-man show. The body of Christ exists for a reason, and it's made up of many members. You see, various people are gifted for ministry in various ways. Paul also points out here that the church he is addressing is the church that is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is specifically written to believers in Jesus Christ. So as we study it, it's for us too. And he goes on and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Now, what we see Paul doing here in these first two verses, well, in the first three verses really, is in a sense praising these believers and encouraging them for where they are in their faith. They were being persecuted. Satan was using every trick in his dirty little bag to distract these believers and trouble their minds. And you know, he will do that to you and me today as well. He will bring someone along to lie to you about the facts of the Bible. The coming of the Lord has already happened. Only certain people can be saved. Jesus wasn't who Christians think he was. You're not really saved. You're a loser. No one wants you around. And on and on it goes. One lie after another. And all these lies are from where? The father of lies. From Satan himself. But the Word of God here, on the other hand, praises and encourages us for walking in the faith. Hey, you know, your faith is growing. You're loving one another. You're doing what you should be doing, okay? That's what Paul's doing here. So, on one hand, these Thessalonians seem to be hearing lies and deception. And then Paul and Timothy and Silas come along and and exhort them instead. And you and me as the body of Christ, we need to be like that as well. We need to be encouragers, not discouragers, not going around tearing others down, you know, that are in the ministry, that have a calling in the Lord, right? We are to encourage one another and to exhort each other as believers. Because, you know, every one of us is attacked or will be attacked in one way, shape, or form, right? Thoughts come into our head that beat us up. Sickness enters our household. Our money runs out. Our family disappoints us. But God's Word encourages us. And we, in turn, in turn can, can use those words of encouragement to encourage others as well. Remember last week we studied that we are to comfort the faint-hearted. We are to uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Pursue what is good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything's in everything, give thanks. Don't quench the spirit. And of all of this, we're told that this is all the will of God in Christ for us. And I talked to you last week about meditating on those scriptures, because. That is God's will for us. So again, Paul in verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Verse 4, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So look at that, right? Patience and faith in persecution and tribulation. It's sad to me that the health and wealth gospel, you know, it seems that it never reached those believers in Thessalonica. This Paul guy, he must have forgotten to tell them all about that. 
Now, of course, I'm kidding here, right? Because you see, the truth of the matter is, is that there are hard times for believers, especially if you're standing for righteousness, holding fast to the gospel and to the word of the Lord. But you see, we must endure. We must stay encouraged. And and as a body, we must come alongside of one another and support one another for this short time that we have here on the earth. So Paul said he boasted of them for their faith and patience and tribulation. Then verse 5 says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So the persecutions and tribulations spoken of there in verse 4 are actually the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So now that sounds kind of crazy to our natural minds today, doesn't it? We are all of the era now of uh, self-help books and feel good about yourself and have success and be happy and prosperous in this world. They're the kind of things we want to hear, right? But turn, if you will, toward the back of your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4 here, let's look down uh, starting at verse 16. It says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So glorify God, it says. Give thanks in everything, as we studied last week. Suffering as a Christian means that you are being persecuted simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, if no one knows that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you you wouldn't suffer, would you? But if you're living your faith out loud, you will get ridiculed for doing so in this world. So Paul was telling the Thessalonians that their persecution and tribulation was part of the righteous judgment of God. He was saying that it had a purpose, and the purpose was that they would be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's continue on here in verse 17 of 1 Peter 4. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So, you see, there's a clear distinction being made here in Scripture between those who obey the gospel and those who do not obey the gospel. Verse 18, Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That word scarcely there is a word that means with difficulty, hardly, not easily. Okay, So it says if the righteous one is scarcely saved in a difficult manner, right? Hardly, not easily. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? 
Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So the point being made here is don't turn back. Don't turn to the things and the ways of this world. Stay the course of faith. Do good. Commit your soul to God. Keep your mind fixed on the things of God. Keep your mind in His Word. Stay in prayer and praise. Give thanks. Walk in a righteous manner. Yes, there is persecution when you do live this life as a true follower of Jesus Christ. But God is your strength. He is an ever-present help in time of need. And there is a difference between the lost and the saved. And there's different eternities for the lost and the saved as well. We need to commit ourselves to the Lord in order to be counted worthy. And as we turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul again is encouraging them here because they're being persecuted, but that persecution he's telling them has a purpose. The persecution becomes like a fire that purifies us. You know, when you think about that, when they purify a metal like gold, for instance, they burn away what's called the dross, right? And the dross is the scum that forms on the surface of the metal when they are melting it. But what then happens to that metal after the dross is burned away is that it becomes pure. And then it's considered worthy. It is then called a precious metal. So Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, hey, you're doing good. And this persecution and those that are telling you these lies and such... That just shows you that you are doing good in the Lord. You see, Satan won't attack you if you're living like the rest of the world. There's no reason for him to do that. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That is a guarantee. So, Let's go back again here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and start reading from verse 4 again, okay? So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Wow, so they got theirs coming, don't they? You see, it's a righteous thing with God to repay. Vengeance is the Lord's. But it's not a righteous thing with man to repay. You see, God is so just, so righteous, so pure, so holy, that when he does it, it's a righteous thing. But that's not the case with us. You see, we don't know all. We don't see all. God does, and only he is worthy to repay evil. When I'm treated unjustly, I don't fight back. I walk away because my God is for me. And he will work things out for good. See, I'd rather just obey the scripture. 
We are to, for example, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which we have learned, and we are to avoid them. We are to warn the unruly, like we discussed last week. But just like there is a a good day coming for us, there is a bad day coming for them. It'll happen for all of those that live ungodly. But what does God want to do for those that live for him and are persecuted? Well, verse 7 says he wants to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So that's when it's going to happen. Sometimes we can wonder, why aren't these people being repaid now? Especially when they keep doing the same things over and over to multiple people. They keep attacking and harming others, right? Well, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament book, Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. You let me talk with you about your judgments. And then he asked the Lord these questions. He said, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Here's the thing, though. In the end, they get what's coming to them. So when someone persecutes you, what do you do? Well, Jesus said you pray for them. you got to think about their end, and you've got to have compassion on them. Their future is very bleak. And it is a, it, the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's not a fearful thing for us who are living our daily lives for the Lord, but it's a fearful thing for those that are not. If I were a wanted criminal, say a bank robber or something like that, and I'm driving down the street and a police officer comes up behind me in his car, it becomes a fearful thing, doesn't it? But if I'm a law-abiding citizen and he comes up behind me, I may say, I hope he don't pull me over, but I know in my heart that he has nothing on me. I have nothing to fear. But the wicked, in many cases today, seem to be the ones prospering. But their end is a sad one, and they need to be warned. So in verse 6, God repays them and He does so, as verse 7 says, when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. But verse 7 also says it's going to be rest for us. We will enter into our rest. That place we talked about two weeks ago, right? So Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And verse 8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's not a good day for the unsaved, right? There will be the Lord's vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? We must obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9 continues and says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now, one important note here. Do you see that word from there in verse 9? 
in, in it's the Greek word apa, right? It, it means separated. So you can read verse 9 like this, that these shall be punished with everlasting destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and separated from the glory of His power. So the born again, the unsaved, or excuse me, the born again and the saved, those that have obeyed the gospel will be eternally with the Lord in His presence and with His glory and power. So again, that day hasn't come yet, but it will. See, don't be deceived into thinking it has already come, and don't be deceived into thinking that it won't ever come. We need to be ready, and we need to keep obeying the Word of God. So reading verse 9 again, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So, you see, Jesus will be admired and glorified in that day. But only by those that have believed the testimony of Jesus, the gospel, we will, we will receive everlasting life. No more persecution. No more trials. No more tribulation. No more hospitalization. No more tears. No more pain. No more death. Verse 11 says, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. There's the place where we need to be. That's where God wants us. He wants us to fulfill His good pleasure and His goodness in our lives. Now, we studied this a little over three months ago, but go back and and let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and and we'll start reading down in verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So, wow. Do you ever see those people that when the pastor is around, they act differently? Have you ever been around people like that? Are you one of those people? <laughs> but Paul says, You have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So always keep in mind that as you have now committed your souls to Jesus Christ, There is now always a work that is going on within you. Think about that. God is doing that work. And the work that he is accomplishing is for his good pleasure. God loves you. He is working out a good thing within you. It's hard sometimes, but there is a purpose in it all. 
read Psalm 40 in its entirety this week. But I'll quote to you right now just one verse from that chapter. The psalmist said, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So God thinks about us. How awesome is that? He wants to work out within us his good pleasure. The Thessalonians haven't missed the coming of the Lord. All is well. They will escape the wrath to come. It may seem hard now, but this isn't the tribulation. We are going to go into our rest someday, that place of peace and calm as we discussed a couple weeks ago. And since this is the case, verse 14 continues here and says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So turning back to 2 Thessalonians, Paul was encouraging them that all is well. God is for them. He's working things out for them. They were struggling. They had real hard times as a result of their faith. But the day is coming when there will be no more hard times. And you know what? That day didn't come in the lifetime of those believers in Thessalonica, did it? Nor has it come in our lifetime yet. Paul didn't know the day nor the hour, nor does anyone else. But that day is coming. Will it be today? Will it be a hundred years from now? Of course, I don't know, but I choose to live like it would be today. I don't want my mind on the things of this world. If someone wants all the trappings of this world, they they can have them. I'm just passing through, wanting to hear the voice of the Lord in my life on a daily basis and waiting to see the face of the Lord someday. But again, while we are alive here on the earth today, there is a purpose of God. He is with us always. He thinks of us so very often And he loves us so very much. And everything that he is doing in our lives today, he is doing so that, as verse 12 says, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the work that you are doing within us. Your word says that he who has began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Lord, you are the one that has begun that good work in us, Lord, by your spirit, by your grace. We thank you today for your love and kindness and your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that we will just continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you that we would desire to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Lord, that you would be our priority and our focus. 
as we go through this temporary life. And again, we thank you for this time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.